Palm Sunday, a unique day. Now, the main text that I'm going to read from uh, happens after the triumphal entry. So it's going to be kind of cool. But if you know that, then when we get there, it, it, it'll kind of pull together. So Palm Sunday is the day everybody gets these palm branches and he sings, Hosanna, Hosanna, here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. Isn't that cute? You know, it's, 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 it's just your typical every year, same thing. It's like Christmas. Okay, Jesus comes as a baby. Isn't that sweet? You know, it's so hard to find something creative and new every time. Every time. You've got to have something exciting. And, and how can you teach something awesome and fresh. And yet, I hope today to focus on something really cool that I had not seen before. This Hosanna thing. Why, why were they yelling that? Why would they possibly be putting their cloaks down and they're and their, their waving the branches and putting leaves or branches down on the ground for, the, for Jesus to walk on? Why do you think they did that? There's a couple potential answers. Nobody's really wrong although there is a little hint to us of why they were in the text. Anybody have an idea? The king is coming. And they were, yelling, they were screaming, this is the king, this is the savior. We're going to read that. Actually, you know what, let's dive into it because it's too much fun. Zechariah 9.9. This is, comes from the Old Testament. This is the prophecy of Jesus riding into town. Hundreds of years before this happened, this was the prophecy. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. So this is the prophecy. Let's dig in. Uh Uh-oh. Can I have my clicker back? All right, thank you. Awesome. This quote, if you were on Facebook, uh, I posted this last night, said I was going to begin today's message with this reminder because the triumphal entry had to do with, listen to this, mistaken identity. It was a mistaken identity of the crowds. They were cheering for what I call a false gospel or misunderstood gospel. They thought it was going to be good news. And for us, after the fact, we see it. But what they believed at that moment is critical for us to understand the context of the story. Let's take a look at this for a minute. This is from 2014. Come back. Thank you. We can't possibly... They're trying to do two things at once back there. (laughs) We can't possibly advance in our own grace walk beyond our concept of God. Stop there beyond our concept of God. This is a hint to the palm branches. We will never move further into living a grace-filled life unless our concept of God's goodness grows. If you see him as one who is watching and waiting for you to conform to what you imagine he expects from you, you will be trapped in feelings of spiritual inferiority and a misguided need for self-improvement. You will spend your life sowing coverings from religious leaves to make yourself look more presentable to him. Our God is not a cosmic critic. He's a doting daddy. And when that reality grips us, everything changes happened to hear a conversation this week, uh, an individual uh, just plagued by religious rules, just 
can't see herself as loved, valued, and accepted just for who she was. It was all tied to religious performance, doing stuff for God, measuring up to human expectations. Oh, may we not do that to others. May we learn, parents especially, as we teach our kids this grace of God, that it's not about your performance. They are completely loved and accepted and valued just as they are right that moment, although their behavior may not always reflect who they really are, right? And that has to be separated. Yeah, moms and dads, don't be looking at your kids now. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, but this, this is huge because our concept of who we think God is totally defines how we live for everybody. So if you believe he doesn't exist, you'll act like it. If you think he's a scary, mean God, you'll act like it. If you think he's just a Santa Claus, woohoo, you'll probably act like it. But the more we get to know him and his and understanding and our understanding of his goodness towards us, our whole life will begin to change. Our actions, our behaviors, our lack of judgment. We do judge more than we ever want to admit. We judge one another. A Western perspective. We see Father as judge. That's what's happened in the West. We see him as a he's there to judge if we're good or bad. That's a perspective. The son, Jesus, he's the good guy. So we got bad cop, good cop. That's kind of how we have perceived God, or at least it, it's been, we've been led to believe that, even through good intentions. And the Holy Spirit, well, we're not quite sure, kind of floating here, floating there. You know, who's the Holy Spirit? That's, it's, that's why we have all these denominations, because everybody thinks they've got it. And one will focus on Father, so all the teachings on Father. Another one loves Jesus. Everything's about Jesus. It's wonderful. And they just focus on Jesus and don't know the Father or the Holy Spirit. And then others are, you know, the, they're swinging from the chandeliers. It's all Holy Spirit, only Holy Spirit, because that's, once we have the Holy Spirit, you need nothing else. And there's an elitism that comes. Each of these groups feed elite thinking, us versus them. I've got it, you don't. Now my job is to make you get it and be more right than you when we have our discussions. That is the exact opposite of the love of God. The opposite. But that's why we have all these denominations and fights and, and I'm right. My gospel is right. We teach the true gospel, the real gospel, the only gospel. Really? How can 44,000 groups be wrong? <laughs> Good night. And then the Trinity is kind of a sort of a separate entities. That's the impression given in Western thinking. But a more ancient perspective can really help. The Father, he's really good. He's a doting daddy. He's for you, not against you. And the Son, he's really good too. Really good. The two are really good. And the Holy Spirit, imagine that really good, and they're for you. Absolutely the same one essence. They are a trinity, three in one. The word trinity is not in the Bible, but this is, it's the word the early church fathers used to describe the oneness, the unity of God, three different persons as one, same essence. And the beauty of the ancient gospel is this. 
we've been invited into that relationship. Every one of us. So let's take a look at John 14. Um, I often read this one at funerals because it refers to hope. Uh, Not hope fellowship, but hope as far as hope in Christ, hope for the future and, and such. And this happens right after the triumphal entry. I believe the triumphal entry happened in John chapter 12. So again, this is really, really, really close to the cross. We're talking six days, five days, who knows? And it was right after this, he then talks about the vine and the branches. He's, he's heading towards the big inevitable. He knows what's going on. He is fully aware of what is coming and continues to walk towards it. Don't, by the way, the disciples are upset. They're not getting what Jesus is trying to say. And listen carefully to what he tells them. He basically says, guys, you're not going to get it. Later you will, because the Holy Spirit will remind you. You'll see that in a few moments. But this is a, I want a double, double pepperoni. All right. He's speaking to the disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. How many people have troubled hearts? We did a funeral yesterday. Their hearts were troubled. An untimely death. They were clearly upset. They lost a loved one. This is same context. These guys don't realize they're going to lose their loved one, Jesus. Not permanently, but just to them, it's going to be a loss. It's going to really mess with them. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If, I, if, if, if this were not so, would I have told you that? I'm going to prepare a place for you. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. He's going to prepare a place, a home. There are many rooms in my, in my uh, mansion, so to speak. Do you remember that text? This is, this is really, really important. I never caught this bridge until, I think it was last year, is when I saw that he's going, he's going to prepare a place. A place for what? His dwelling? Maybe? Your dwelling? Is he talking about heaven? I'm not so convinced he's talking about heaven. Although you can use that if you have to, especially if it helps you feel good. But I think he was going to prepare you and me. The tabernacles of his presence. Remember, it was the temple where God lived on earth at that time. The very presence or home of God was considered the holiest of holies in that temple. He was going to prepare you and me. He was going to do the work that he was already doing. Go to the cross and take us down with him and make us new people and dwell in us. And there's a little bit of a hint to that coming up, and you'll see what I mean. That's how I made the bridge. But if he's going to prepare, he knows fully what's going on. God has revealed this to the man, Jesus. Remember, Jesus had to live in absolute dependence on his father for wisdom and words and advice, moment by moment, instant by instant. He didn't just come up with it. He had to live out of his humanity, not divinity. So as a human, he had to draw on the resources of God all the time. He spent a lot of time with his father, lots of time praying. That's, that's how he, he modeled that. It was pretty wild. Then he goes on and says this. Thomas says, uh, we don't know. What do you mean we don't know? And you know the way where I'm going. And Thomas says, uh, nope, 
Not a clue. What are you talking about? How, how can we know the way? We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, and I can just see that little smirk. <laughs> I am, wink, wink, the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had already known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What a declaration of oneness. The Trinity defined. You've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is a powerful picture. No one can come to the Father except through me, and none of it was possible until four more days from then, five days, whatever it was, when he died on the cross. It was then, through Christ, we can come to him. He's the only way. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. Did he just not hear what Jesus said? Like, really? It's almost like, Hmm. Jesus replied, Have I been with you all this time? I don't think he quite did that, but it it looked funny. Exasperated, yeah. He replied, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. It was not the man, Jesus, who did these miracles. It was the Father doing it through the man, Jesus, as he lived in absolute dependence. All of his source, all of his strength, all of his wisdom, all the insight came from the Father dwelling in him, and he was fully aware of the presence of his Father in him. Who would like to live a life of absolutely aware, moment by moment, of the presence of Christ in us? Who would like to live from that daily, moment by moment? Oh, man. Well, it's true, but the awareness is not true. It's our minds that don't believe it and don't think about it. That's why we come together to be constantly reminded because of all the distractions we have around us from crisis to family to jobs to whatever. It's, it's, we're distracted. It's, and that's okay. It's called living life. And whose job is it to get your attention anyway? The one who's in you. So relax. Instead of, because I can just hear the knee-jerk religious reaction, I need to try harder. I need to focus more on Jesus in me. I need to pray more, read my Bible more. I need to, and you just make your list, and there. Because then if you think you're doing that list, you think you're achieving it, when all along, there's nothing to achieve. It's to be. Be loved. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father's who lives in me, does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you've seen me do. Interesting. Two parts. Believe I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. That's, that's the revelation you need. That's what I came to do. 
That's why Jesus came to fix the perception people had of his father and to take care of sin, do away with it. But he said, even if you can't get that, just believe the father sent me. You know, if if that's too hard, then look at the works I'm doing. Let the miracles wow you. Fine, like who else does that? You know, like, really? Nobody. (laughs) There are people who want the miracles only. But the miracles are not primary. They're there to point to the Father. Be careful what you wish for. Some people want all the signs and wonders. The signs and wonders are there to point to the Father, point to the Son in us. We're so wowed about the, the, the miracles and the, and the signs and wonders that we don't see the person. We don't see Jesus. Don't get sidetracked. goes on, verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or counselor or encourager who will never leave you. So if he's that tight with his Father, you know, like one, do you think his Father will answer that prayer? Of course Absolutely. Who will never leave you? He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. That's critical. And I think it happens twice in this text where he confirms that. The revelation of truth that we have when something, when a light bulb turns on, that's the Holy Spirit turning the light on for you. That's the aha. Here's another thing I'm afraid of in the Western church and with our Bible colleges and seminaries and all that stuff, we are trying so hard to get revelation from studying and getting knowledge. There's way too much knowledge out there and not enough revelation. And only the Holy Spirit can give that revelation. Now, there's nothing wrong with study. Absolutely, critically important. Not everybody's drawn to it, but there's super importance in studying, and, and, but not relying on just that knowledge rather relying on the Holy Spirit in us to take that knowledge and bring revelation. Some people pursue it just for the knowledge. Stop doing it for just that purpose. Ask the Holy Spirit to be the revealer of truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. This is huge. Right now, the world's eyes have been blinded. This whole story is about blind people they're not seeing who Jesus is, even his closest. Good night. We're, we're like days away from the cross, and these guys still don't know who this Jesus is. Like, really, really? Haven't you hung out with him long enough? Haven't you seen the woo, even the miracles, like the wild ones, and the, the demons coming out, and the guy was dead, and now he's alive? What? Like, really? If I had seen that, man, I'd surely believe. <laughs> That's what I keep telling myself, but... <laughs> If those guys who saw it over and over and over and over and heard the Father speaking through Jesus, if they didn't get it because their eyes were blinded, Jesus even tells them, you're going to forget, but the Holy Spirit will remind you later. It's up to the Holy Spirit to wake you up, to help you see truth, and not to use the truth as a, a club to bang on people's head to make them change. That's not the purpose of truth. It's to love and reach out, to reveal the love of the Father, not judge. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. Okay, if the world isn't looking for Jesus, 
then why do we go knocking door to door? Have you found Jesus? I didn't know he was lost. <laughs> you didn't get that? Okay, all right. The world's not looking. And sometimes we set up programs, ooh, we're going to woo and wow these people into the church. They need to just come to the church. No, they don't. We need to go out and be light so they have something to see. Without the presence of light in this world and goodness, and by the way, it doesn't always look religious. It happens at the hospital with nurses caring, custodians cleaning. That's care. It's the people protesting, keep our earth green. They matter. It may not be your thing, but don't mock them for their thing. These these um, uh, parades that are happening the last couple of days for anti-violence. You know, somebody had a survey the other day. Do you think it's really going to make a difference? Well, it's going to be 50-50. You don't know. You can guess all you want. But for those people, it matters because there's a care outside of themselves. Who do you think the source and author of that care is? The light of Christ. That's who the source is. But they're not looking, so they won't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you and now later will be in you or is in you. Jesus is telling them, guys, he's going to be indwelling you. It's coming. (laughs) No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. When I am raised to life again, you will know that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Ooh, ooh. Look, holy smokes. When I am raised to life again, hint, hint, guys, I'm going to die, and I am going to get raised. I'm telling you ahead of time, you're going to forget. In fact, you're probably going to scatter or something like that. But either way, here we go. When I am raised to life, you will know that I am in my Father. You are in, you are in me, and I am in you. He's already declaring the oneness and the union. He's telling them what to look for. This is powerful stuff. This is like days before the cross. He's giving them these super assurances. How many times are we afraid of a crisis that hits? whether it's a financial one, a relational one, and all we can see is our darkness, our cloud of of crap we're going through. That's all we see. And there's a little light shining through it. That's what Jesus does. That's grace. In the darkness, there is light. And darkness can never extinguish light. Verse 25. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that's twice now he's told them, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will, listen, remind you of everything I told you. I'm telling you so that I can do, do this, you know, like what our spouses sometimes do. I told you so, you know. <laughs> he, he's telling them I told you so in advance. And it's okay, it's a good kind of I told you so. It's the stuff you need to remember because in hindsight, you can see 2020. I can't see nothing ahead of me sometimes. But backwards, boy, we can sure learn a lot. 
I'm telling you these things now while I'm with you. But when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. Oh, I think, oh, I'd love to have that all the time. Wouldn't that be great? Having peace of mind, peace of heart. Hey, some of our minds are not right. <laughs> you know, like, I, I drive around about side around this area. There are a lot of people whose mind's not right. It's just the way it is. Mine's fine, but man, it's terrible. But peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Peace of mind and heart does not come from this world. It comes from the only source of true peace. God. Jesus. The Holy Spirit. Who dwells in you? And the good news is, you don't have to pray for that peace of mind anymore. It's already given to you. It's a gift. All of you have it. I don't feel it right now. That's not my problem. You're believing it's not there. Start believing the peace of Christ is in you. And watch what happens to your thinking. Watch what happens to your stress levels. When you recognize and affirm the gift in you, you may have to look like a bit of a cuckoo, go behind the bar and start saying to yourself, I have the peace of Christ in me. I have the peace of Christ in me. I've got the peace of Christ in me. What are you doing? Talking to yourself? No, just leave me alone. Cows over there. You start, you know, you know. anyway. Talking to yourself can look really weird, but it's important. Why? Your voice is saying it. You know what your voice is, right? What, what is your voice, by the way? Scientifically, what is it? What is it you're hearing from me? Sound waves. They're waves that move. That's the only way you can hear this. Those sound waves reverberate back where? Into your ear. And your ear picks up what? Sound waves. This is simple science. You speak it, you think it, you speak it, and then you hear it again. It begins to train your mind again from moving from disbelief to belief. He came to bring you peace, peace of mind, even in the middle of absolute stress. Believe it in the moment. Call on God. Say, God, I don't feel emotionally peaceful right now. Please help connect the two that I, I, I want to feel it. We are feeling people, okay? We're created as emotional beings. Emotions aren't bad. They're part of who we are and how we learn to respond. So don't be troubled or afraid. Verse 30, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the ruler of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but I will do what the Father requires of me so that the world will know that I love the Father. All that's to happen so that It shows the world he loves the Father. These are his words. Come, let's be going. I don't have much time to tell you anymore, he says. And right after this, he ends up in the Garden of Gethsemane. Praise. And man, the brutal stress journey happens. But he has the peace of God in him. As a human, there is a brutal wrestling, brutal stress, but he's still had his mind right. In the garden, he's praying, Father, if it's your will, let this be taken from me. But I submit. How do we know the Father? 
by looking at Jesus. We know the Father by seeing the Father's heart revealed in his Son. That's how we know the Father. What the Son loves, the Father loves. So everything that Jesus loved, the Father loves too. The Son has a heart for people. And I think this is critical because as we grow, we know people around us we, we don't even like. Like, can't stand some people. They're just repulsive to us. Everybody has people like that. But the more we know the Father's love towards us, our hearts will warm towards even those we don't like. And until the Holy Spirit gives us a genuine love for all humanity, which is evidence of grace in us. The goal is to love everyone, just like God loves everyone. If you ever are on a, watching a show or hearing a radio where some speaker says God hates anybody, turn that crap off. Stop letting the vibrations go in your ear. Turn it off and replace it with truth. Your words have power, people. I say it to myself too. I don't always get it right, clearly. But slowly, gradually, at the Holy Spirit's pace, I'm learning some things. He has a heart for the least. The story of Zacchaeus is a great picture. He looks up at Zacchaeus as he's walking past. Says, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm going to dine at your place. What's on for dinner? <laughs> he takes Zacchaeus' shame onto himself. He makes himself as one of the rejected by associating with the rejected. This is the heart of the Father. This is the heart of the Son. The heart for the hurting. <laughs> the guy, Jesus, really? He should have wore a watch. He, he was late for stuff. You know, like, I know people come in late for the service, 15, 20 minutes late. That's fine. But he was four days late for a funeral. I have people come into the funeral just as we're ending, doing the Lord's Prayer, and they, they come in, oh, whew, sit down. And then literally, whew, we're done now. You're late. Jesus was late for his best friend's funeral. I, I think God had something to do with that because he had other things he was doing. And Jesus was not, was not stressing about everybody else's calendar. Mexico is very different. <laughs> Although it's not Jamaica. But it was really slow. You, you tell the group to be there at 3, or sorry, at 4 o'clock. Uh, you have to tell them 3 if you really want them there at 4. It's just how things are. A little more relaxed. You know, not Mike Zanker's calendar. Let's go. You know, <laughs> yeah. Did I walk a little bit fast? Yeah. I was moving it. I was booking it wherever we went. There was no, no such thing as slow. <laughs> it was fun. Jesus shows up, and what he does, he sees everybody grieving. And this shows you the heart of Jesus, the man who identifies with our pain, our loss. He demonstrates it right here. And what does Jesus do? It says Jesus wept. It does not mean he had a little tear come down his eye. He was, he was sad. No, he bawled, wept, cried, because he connected with the emotions, lost his best friend. And he saw other people grieving as well. And that moved his heart. Does your heart get moved when you see others hurting? Or is it more calloused because it's just easier not to be connected? You know, I just, I'm going to stay with my happy trail until we hit a roadblock and need people to love us. 
Life is not about you. Life is about relationships. It is about connecting as humans through whatever personality style we have. And then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me as you always hear me. But I said this out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So they all hear me. (laughs) That's a funny prayer. So they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out! The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes. Okay. Just for fun. Okay, because you can see it already, can't you? How did Lazarus actually come out if his feet are bound and hands are bound? Just imagine. (laughs) Or did he float out? I don't know. What's worth thinking about? All right, next. There's a lot of humor in Scripture. Jesus, Jesus is the representation of submission. Jesus modeled it for us. The next day, the news came that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem, swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, Hosanna, which means save now, salvation now, which should be a hint to the gospel they were cheering a false gospel. Tell you about it in a minute. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, as we read earlier, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is riding on a donkey's colt. And his disciples, I should say still, (laughs) his disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Who would have told them that? Who would have been the reminder? Gee, Jesus told them who's going to remind them. It was the Holy Spirit. Pretty cool. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they heard of this miraculous sign. signs and wonder searchers. (laughs) Not so much for Jesus, the Messiah. They believe Jesus was coming as Savior and King. What do kings do? What did they do? Pardon? What else? Pardon? Conquer! Fight! Band their armies! Train their men! Send them out! Yeah, Rome! In your face, Rome. Oh, yeah, bring on the donkey. Bring on the Messiah. Yeah, because we're going to be delivered from Rome. That's what they were thinking. They were not thinking, the prophecies are all here. This is Jesus. Oh, yay. Didn't happen. Heart of submission. Here comes Jesus on a donkey knowing full well what is coming, fully anticipated it because his father told him about it, and here's what he did. He submitted to these people even their fake gospel, their, their wrong impression of what they thought was really going on. They were cheering in a new king that would save them from Rome. And being blinded, they were cheering for the wrong gospel, and Jesus still submitted to it. There's a lesson here. How many times do you get in theological argument, arguments with people and you're totally on opposite ends? What about submitting? Not, you don't have to agree, 
but submit in love. Not to fight, but pursue relationship. Even if you never end up agreeing on it. Jesus modeled submitting to that. The gospel is Jesus Christ. And you were his goal. So he could inhabit you and reveal and fix your perception of who the Father is. This is really, really, really good news. Hosanna? Yeah, now, now we can understand a little bit better what was going on. Those were clouded days. And as we know the story, a lot happens in the next few days. And it is the pinnacle of our freedom. So you could possess peace. You know you're possessed, right? <laughs> you are by the Holy Spirit. <laughs> you don't get that joke, do you? It's, it's awesome. Let's bring it back to truth. Recognize who lives in you. And when you're at your darkest, deepest time, consider surrendering. Submit your concerns to your Heavenly Father. Stop complaining so much. Complaining has to do with expectations. Submit all your expectations to the Father so he can be peace to you. Those who do not have peace complain the most. They're the grouchiest. Stop it. Recognize the peace of Christ in you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son, and thanks for being an awesome voice to him all through his earthly life, being wisdom to him. Thanks for the miracles you did through him. And Jesus, thank you for submitting to your Father and modeling what submission looks like, even to the point of the cross. May this Easter weekend coming up be a time to remember and celebrate the new life we have and the new revelation that your Father, you, Father, is good. You're very good. You're not angry. Oh, may this world hear that message too. So that the gospel, the good news, Jesus Christ, is good news for everybody. I pray this in Jesus' name.